This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux In-Laws Season 1, Episode 84. Martin, how are things? Yeah, things are great and wonderful. How about you? Can't complain now that the EU has finally gotten rid of the UK, sorry, the kingdom, because United is not longer <laughs> it's not longer option. No, I'm joking. How is the state of the union? Well, what we see the union anyway. Uh, still as is. I don't know if there's going to be any changes in future, but yeah, this water supply is still okay. Gas, gas yeah, pumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have we have lots of gas actually. It's all coming in on ships before. It's why been sent why to don't Europe, you? We may, we may keep it here. Why, why don't you send some to Europe in that case? <laughs> Just in case. No, no, um, the harbors are full um, of the stuff. But yeah. I'm I'm working yeah. on a petition actually for Brussels so that uh -huh. Brussels can actually join the kingdom. Okay. As in, as in the flip side, I don't know if that works mm. out or not. Details yeah, to be confirmed, mm, but mm, it's might be it might be a hard push anyway. But maybe yeah. Russia comes first because apparently people are leaving Russia by by the by the trillions. If current can yeah. is anything yeah, to yeah, go yeah. by, indeed. Needless to say, we are recording this on in February 2023. I think <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Uh, the war Doesn't is coming to close. Me. Exactly. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> but this is no. But this is not a podcast about wars, but rather about women in in free and liberal op um, open source software. And with that, I would like to welcome our guests. Martin, why don't you do the honors? Ah, yes. Well, tonight we have one of our long-standing favorite friends of the podcast, Elena. Yes. Hello. Um, Hello, Elena. Nice to hear you again. <laughs> and we back. have uh, a good friend of Elena's, uh, Juliette. And for the, yes, and for the two people who do not know who these people are, maybe Elena. And mm. of, of course, um, Elena is, is a long-term friend of the podcast. So, but for, as I said, for these two listeners who do not know who Elena is, maybe you could introduce yourself. And Juliette, please do the same. I'll let Juliette go first. Uh, oh, help. Uh, I, I always find it hard to introduce myself. I'm, I'm basically a full-time open-source contributor, and I have opinions. Perfect. We always do. Yeah, and We I've all do, exactly. I've been in open-source uh, probably over 20 years now. Okay. Where do you come from? I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so does Martin. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, in terms of kind of professional background education, if you if you want to tell, if well, you don't, that's okay too. No worries. Long uh, in a far distant past, I studied business, international business, and okay. uh, for some reason, I managed to 
get into programming. Uh, and I've really been enjoying that ever since I'm self-employed. Okay. And uh, a lot of my open source work by now, after lots of years of not being the, uh, that case, uh, is now sponsored. So I actually get paid to contribute to open source. Yay! Nice. Nice. And you're still not working for Red Hat. Excellent. Or IBM for that matter. These days. I'm joking. <laughs> Elena, for these two people on the podcast who haven't listened to past episodes, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Uh, well, hi to people. <laughs> um, I'm Elena Kolevska. Uh, my past, if I start from from way back, um, my my diploma, uh, I guess, is in is in engineering, electric engineering and telecommunication. So also as Juliet, not really computer science, but um, it was somewhere in the area, I guess. Uh, but straight out of university, I went into programming too, uh, just like Juliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I stayed there mostly in web development for, I don't know, some 10 or 12 years or something like that. And then some three years ago, I joined Redis as a technical enablement architect, which kind of combines um, the two things I, I love most. So programming, engineering in general, systems, uh, system design and teaching. Um, and then in the past three years, that's what I've been doing, helping uh, Redis employees uh, get up to speed with the technology, learn just general stuff about state- stateful distributed systems and um, uh, keep them up to date with the latest and greatest in Redis. And of course, what Elena is probably too shy to mention, that, that she is a very thriving career as a voice model on the side. <laughs> Uh, for the details, check out the past Halloween episodes. And yes, we do we do not know where we would be without Vladessa. But that's beside the point. Anyway, tonight is not about past episodes, but rather about the future of open source uh, software and women. The reason why I'm even mentioning this is, is quite straightforward. Normally, the perception is actually that the floss ecosystem, industry, community, whatever you want to call it, is all about, I reckon, 50, 40 plus years old white males. Of course, I will get, we probably we will get a lot of hate mail about this, but jokes aside, the female slash diverse representation has been, I reckon, somewhat un- undervalued over the last couple of decades in open source software. But Juliet already mentioned that, he has, that she has certain, certain opinions about this. Now, Juliet, why don't you contribute? Why don't you chip in? Oh, I mean, it's correct that the perception is that it's largely white males contributing. Uh, and in that sense, I don't think any topic about women in open source should even have the right to exist. Let's widen this to diversity in open source. Because there's Absolutely. so much more to diversity than just gender. Um, and if we're realistic, uh, open source and being able to contribute to it is often still a matter of privilege. If you're financially comfortable, uh, either by you know employers paying you to contribute uh, contribute to open source, or you know you have your finances in order and have the liberty to have free time to spend on open source. Uh, That's a form of privilege. And there's lots of people in this world who would love to contribute to open source, but do not have that privilege. So more than anything, I think it's not so much a problem of diversity in open source, 
but a problem of funding. Okay, interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> um, but yes, clearly, uh, open source development has to be well uh, funded somehow. To pe uh, you know, uh, people need a day job and often do it uh, as a, a secondary case. Uh, I think in your case, you mentioned that you have a, a full time. Well, let's, let's say full time. Um, you, you, your open source work is paid for by someone else. I understand. Open source work is paid. Part of you, okay, okay. Um, so that's not your day job. It's... It is my day job. Okay, okay. But part of my day job is unpaid. I'm self-employed, so I decide what right. I work. Well, that's quite nice. <laughs> okay, so the, the 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 sponsorship I currently have does allow me the freedom to make those choices. Uh, there's been times when I had a lot less freedom because I didn't have the finances as much to be able to make those choices myself. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I mean, we had um, various people in the past on around uh, the funding of open source, and um, clearly, it, it's something that is undervalued as a, uh, as a as a model, right? It's it. It's very much dependent on people getting sponsorship or, or doing it in their own free time in, in some cases, or be, as you say, being sponsored by organizations. But there's not that many, um, not all projects are as lucky like that out there. The um, project is, not, is definitely not that lucky. The majority of projects are completely unfunded and volunteer work. And I also see from my business background, massive business risk in that. Because the world is currently running on open source software. Yep. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. As of midnight tonight, would have to pay one euro or one dollar, whatever your preferred currency, for every open source project they use, whether they knew they were using it or not. By tomorrow lunchtime, the world is bankrupt. The world economy would be bankrupt. This you is how big open source. I, I think it's heading there anyway. <laughs> There is a privilege that to be able to contribute to open source and and the gatekeeping is also in that privilege in a way. There, there, it's difficult to start you know, contributing to open source if you don't have some form of funding or support to do so. No, yeah, that's a very interesting agree, perspective. Agree. But I, I wouldn't keep it to the world, uh, Juliet, because as you rightly observed, I reckon the whole universe is running on open source. I really? just have to take a look. I just have to take a look at your at any ordinary tech stack in any given enterprise, even small or medium size. Ninety percent, I reckon, is reusing components from mobile devices right up to to complex enterprise stacks. I mean, your dishwasher is using coal. Your car is using coal, just to give an example. That's exactly it, yes. Yeah. Martin, sorry, you had a point. You had a question. Uh, no, no, my, well, my car isn't because it's quite old. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still driving this 60-year-old banger? Okay. <laughs> no, no, but, uh, yeah. So, so okay, um, if we go back to the um, original point, so working on open source software requires funding, which is not easy to get by. Um, have you thought about how that how we could change that situation? I've done a lot of thinking about it. I have okay. not come up with a solution yet. I mean, part of it is also like once money gets involved, you also change the dynamic of teams. 
because then it you get the question how is that money going to be divided and who gets what money and how is that broken down and and as soon as money comes into play yeah the the team dynamics change which can break an open source project completely by breaking the 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 atmosphere of collaboration so it's not an easy one to solve either is is that something that you've seen in practice i've seen discussions to that point uh, to that effect and no Absolutely. i'm not going into detail <laughs> well no, we're waiting for the details no, <laughs> you don't no, want no, to share them that's fine Absolutely, absolutely spot on. No, I mean, I couldn't have, I couldn't have said it better. The the thing is, of course, where do you see the whole industry going in that regard? Because as not only what what was it, what is what was it? The and details may or not be may or may not be in the show notes. The the, the likes of not, was it? It wasn't Shutterbleed, but something else. Bashbug and some other major open source. For want of a better expression, challenges outlined quite clearly. Um, I, th- I think at least the the OpenSSL vulnerability was was boiled down to somebody or to to, to to a very small number of people doing this on their side. And if you take a look at the attack surface on, on of any major open source component alone, features uh, chances are that OpenSSLs plays a very kind of uh, prominent, let's put it this way, role. In set in set architecture and thus attack surface. So if you rest this whole thing on somebody's or, or on the shoulders of a small group, you are clearly taking your chances. It's not With just that. I mean, we've seen Heartbleed already, which was an open SSL. Uh, Thank you. Yes, and and only once Heartbleed became big news, people suddenly realized this was a project which had been maintained by someone in their attic for 22 years without any form of money. I mean, this is the reality. Whether it's OpenSSL or Curl or, or any software, there's always some dependency somewhere in the stack which is being maintained in this way. I mean, one of the projects I'm, well, I use a lot mostly, uh, I'm lightly involved with, is PHP. PHP runs 80% of the internet as a programming language. Last year, an article came out which basically highlighted that the bus factor of PHP at that point in time, realistically, was two people. And 80% of the internet runs on it. Yes, uh, of course, for those who listeners out there who don't know what the bus factor is, essentially the bus factor means if you have one or two people maintaining a very important project if these two people are run over by a bus and hence the name this project will be dead because you don't have any successors and this is exactly the reason for for this so-called bottleneck in the commas, of course that if only a few people maintain a project you have an issue with regards to the risk involved and that's exactly what juliet is referring to by the bus factor yeah just for these people after that article, the PHP community has taken action. There, a, a foundation has been created, which is not directly involved with the PHP project. They're two separate things. But the foundation uh, is a manner to raise funding and to then fund select uh, uh, developers who contribute to the PHP project and request uh, funding. 
So there, there is action being taken there because the risk is just too big. And I think a lot of companies have no clue how big the risk they run is by relying on open source without any form of give back. Open source or initially was based on give back either in code or in money or in documentation or in translations. There's so many ways you can give back. But that whole because open source has become a commodity and 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 become so popular, people using it nowadays don't actually know the philosophy of open source anymore. And they're not giving back, but they are relying on it to to be stable for their business. And when it's not, open source maintainers get a load of grief. I've, I've, I know people who've had debt threats. And it's like, they're doing this for free. You've never paid a penny. And you're using their software to run your million dollar business. And you are sending them debt threats. True enough. I mean, System D comes to mind. I think Leonard has, has received at least two or three death threats uh, for certain architecture choices, but no jokes aside. Uh, sorry, not jokes aside, but rather um, uh, pass aside. But on the other side, another example for this bus factor would be Log4j. I don't think that yeah. more than two people maintained this logging library for Java. And given the fact that this is used left, right, and center across the universe, sometimes it's add. And people, if you do not know what Log4j is, check out your news feed going back to December 2021, because the details are in there. You have you, you will certainly see that this is actually a major enterprise issue on a global level. And and it's not just security issues like this. It's also uh, the whole culture. I mean, uh, I, I don't remember the exact name of the package now, but it was a package last year in in August, I think, in NPM. Uh, where the maintainer had a mental health break and and as in mental health crisis and they introduced a secure security issue into their own package which was used by millions of projects it got referred to by npm but own, i mean the fact that this happens with mental health is something which nobody watches if you know you're you're doing your own thing in open source you're not employed by a company or when people aren't always aware of the kind of dynamics which get into play and and the the pressure which maintainers feel the, the responsibility maintainers feel to fix security issues to fix bugs to to keep their users happy is huge but it also takes a toll Couldn't agree more. I mean, full disclosure, I'm I'm an arch package maintainer, and I know exactly what you're talking about because my day job was something completely different, and I'm just doing this on the side. Yeah. Uh, I um, I recently I interviewed the current uh, maintainers uh, of uh, Redis, the open source project, and among other things, they said like they said we are really really tired. And they're being paid, so that's the, their main job. They're being paid for it, maintain Redis. But it's really, really hard. There is no break. You always feel like you're responsible for for that thing. So even on Saturdays and Sundays, you always pay, pay attention. Maybe you know, with just the corner of an eye, you just uh, scan through an email just to know, hey, is this something really urgent? Has there been some uh, vulnerability discovered? You always have it at the back of your head. 
you're never completely 100% relaxed. You cannot really take a long holiday. You know that you, if you're away for two weeks, when you come back, you're going to be completely um, overwhelmed with, uh, with issues and works. Is that uh, part of the fact that being, uh, you know, uh, an open source maintainer or, or even a part of the, uh, the the board or whatever you want to call it means that you've got that exposure as well, right? Which no, as, a, no. as a developer working in a company, you don't have. So. No, sorry, exposure is – sorry, I really don't mean any offense, but it's so complete bullshit. It's the same, okay. you know, speakers in tech generally don't get paid for speaking. You have to do it for the exposure. No. I mean, this, you are getting paid to organize a conference. Are you paying you, the, the people who organize the lunch? Yes, you're paying for the lunch. Why are you not paying for the speakers? People are not coming to your conference for the lunch. They're coming to hear the talks. Similar with open source, exposure is not the thing, especially with well-run projects. Well-run projects will generally be, you know, just running in CI in the background, Nobody, unless you have something to complain about, most people have no clue who's behind it. That's a very interesting observation because the the way I see major and minor and medium open source projects, it's not just the code base. It's support, it's GitHub issues, it's documentation, as in read the docs.io and all the rest of it. That normally takes a, a full ecosystem to run. It's not just your guy, gal, or diverse in the background providing code base, providing or contributing to code base, or the community fixing issues on GitHub or something like this. No, it's much, much more. Never mind the fact that you, as you rightly pointed out, Juliet, that you are speaking on, at conferences, providing input on Reddit and so forth about certain topics, never mind answering emails and all the rest of it. And that's more often than not, I reckon, more or less a full-time job, which essentially you're doing after hours and on the weekend. Yeah, and, and as I say, when it's a project which actually doesn't really have any bugs, you, it diminishes the, the number, of time, uh, number of issues you get and, and the time you need spent on support, but it also very much diminishes the visibility. Uh, I mean, I have a project which within like 20 months got 5 million downloads, which I think is significant. In in those 20 months, I've had two issues opened. Nobody knows I'm behind it. Mm. Still run and downloaded by five, uh, 5 million projects. So, do, you, do you consider this to be a burden, I wonder? Uh, or, rather, or rather a challenge or something satisfying? Uh, sorry, this is an open question. Just go for it. It's the it it's a mixed blessing. I enjoy a lot of the work, but generally, similar like in company work, I would try to coach people to set them up to become a successor. Because at some point, I want to move on. Because you know, at some point, you've explored a certain space, and you've learned what you had to learn there and you want to move on to something w which is new and technically challenging for you again. And unless you set up successes for yourself, there's no way you can move on and it really becomes a drag and, and yeah, it becomes more and more um, difficult to bring up the energy to 
maintain a project. Very interesting, interesting perspective, Julia. Switching tack a little bit to Elena. If you're working for enablement at, at Redis, I reckon this is, I, I'm almost tempted to say, a, a multiplying factor in terms of you are enabling the people who, who, who enable the community. So I reckon yes. in your role, you are contributing quite a lot to the overall progress of the FLOSS, never mind Redis ecosystem. Well, I mean, thanks for, for putting it that way. I guess I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't really been looking at it that way because you only see the first level, right? I see directly the people I'm working with, my direct, let's say, customers, quote unquote. Uh, but indeed, you're right. They are then the people who enable the, the community. Uh, sometimes we even directly contribute to uh, articles and and training materials, courses, online videos, the things that just the regular uh, web developer w w will find useful if they're using Redis. And if they're not using Redis, maybe they're going to learn something new and that new and uh, uh, then adopt uh, uh, that technology. So I guess you're right. No, I mean. Granted, you are backed by a commercial entity called Redis, fair enough. But yeah. at the end, but at the end of the day, it's an open core company, meaning that the that the core IP is still open source, licensed yes. under a, a BSD. BSD. So the the onus is still on GitHub and and other communities to drive this forward. And to say there is a there is a steering committee in place that drives the technology roadmap, but Given the fact that you are employed by Redis, I reckon the, I wouldn't say onus, but rather the, 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 the focus is also on enablement, basically to ensure that the community is educated about the roadmap and all the rest of it. I reckon that's a very, very pivotal role as such. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, the job description itself does not deal directly with the community. I guess that would be more our, our education team. But uh, we do enable the education team too. That's so, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in a way that uh, we do work on that. And, um, but just on, on the thing you mentioned about uh, the committee guiding uh, the roadmap, let's say, currently, Redis, so until two years ago, uh, we had only one person uh, at the helm of Redis. It was Salvatore Sanfilippo, the creator and maintainer for over 10 years. After those 10 years, and again, Salvatore also was really, really tired of just maintaining um, a project. This is really, uh, it takes a lot of toll uh, on a person to be on the helm of something that huge used everywhere. I remember asking him once, hey, so do, does it feel good? Uh, knowing that your software is in space and uh, um, all around the world, he said, that, no, actually, I don't really feel that, but I do feel the responsibility. So, and that was really, I mean, I remember that moment because it's, wow, I, I, I hadn't actually seen it like that because I was only meeting him on conferences where he was the star and hi, everybody likes Salvatore. But in fact, that's maybe half or 0.1% 0, 0 of his life 
when he's in the spotlight at a conference and he doesn't even like it that much. Um, but the rest is just, uh, you know, being the maintainer, checking issues, checking bugs, um, uh, doing code review on PRs instead of being able to just feel free and code and create something new. But now you're limited for, for, by many, many things. Uh, so you don't have a free expression, let's say. So that's one thing. That's how it's. Sorry, very much ties in with what I mentioned about the the, the mental health aspect of being maintained yeah. by the George earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for over 10 years, there was a single um, uh, benevolent dictator, I think is the term that, that was used. And then the, um, the keys from, uh, of the castle were passed on to uh, this committee. And the first thing that read is the, the, the company. This committee is, by the way, uh, people from the company read this commercial company. The first thing the company did was they invited um, um, uh, an engineer um, from uh, so Medlin, Medlin uh, Olson, I think, Olson. She, she joined in the very first, uh, I, uh, I guess, weeks after this transition took place. And she's a, she is uh, an employee of AWS and she works on uh, AWS's Redis pro uh, products. The bookshop, okay. Yes, the bookshop. <laughs> um, the bookshop in the cloud, in the sky. Um, and then one other representative from uh, Alibaba, the Alibaba cloud uh, provider in, in China. So now they are in this, in this team, and um, you cannot really say that Redis, pardon, Redis, the company, is the only one driving the, the roadmap of Redis. Um, but you can actually see that things that, that are even conflicting a little bit with, um, uh, with uh, the financial interests of Redis get merged into Redis, the open source project, uh, because the maintainers say, um, this is good for the community. So they end up merging that thing because it improves Redis open source, the Redis core, even though it removes some competitive advantage, let's say, from, from Redis uh, Enterprise. So that's very interesting. And I mean, it's good. I uh, I don't want to... I'm, I'm talking only about Redis, but you have to understand that's my <laughs> most of my time and I um, uh, what, what I know best, my uh, biggest, uh, let's say, um, knowledge in the open source uh, world. Um, so it's interesting to see that even a project that big... It, it, needs, first of all, many people to guide it. And it has a distributed uh, 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 team of people. So the different aspects, different points of view that are keeping the roadmap uh, in place, not letting it, you know, stray in one direction to someone's financial interests. That uh, I find it very interesting and there's some projects I'm involved with where I would wish for that enlightened next phase. Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, Elena. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, it's interesting, but um, it's part of the culture. It's where the uh, uh, it's the DNA of a company. So if the company says we are an open source company, okay, sure, you have to protect some of your products. Um, 
because we've seen what's happening in the, you are a company after all you need to make money you need to stay alive you need to pay the salaries of people um that that, that are spending their time with you right but still uh, you can survive but not sacrificing everything you can still man- maintain your dna uh, in the open source world there's definitely a big difference between the open source project and the product which is wrapped around that open source project in in most cases there are lots of companies often making lots of money of open source without giving back there's also companies which do give a lot back to open source and build their business around open source but the project the open source project is often regulated under different uh, governance than the the product absolutely i mean the the whole thing ranges from i'm tempted to say typically open core companies like mongo like couchbase like redis of course right up to the purebred like nextcloud and for those people who don't know nextcloud nextcloud goes back to a project called opencloud that now is an open core company but the proprietor the proprietor decided a few years back to fork the project because he wasn't happy with the circumstances at own cloud and now next cloud is a pure in the original red hat sense meaning of open source as in everything is open source and you just make the, the business model centered around services and professional and and and, and support and all the rest of it similar to next cloud where the you you find the complete code base on github and the company makes its money from services and support. And the, um, the employee, well, employees, don't, they're not employees, but they're all equal members of the um, of the company as well, the maintainers of NextCloud, aren't they? We had the the session with, uh, yes. with Frank. Yeah. With Frank Karlitzek, exactly. So it's quite a, quite a different model from, from a lot of... Very um, much so, like, yes. Like Redis, for example. <laughs> yeah. Or Enterprise um, TV, for that matter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all, I mean, they're all open core companies, as you say, where um, they, well, pay the salaries of, of a, a large number of the people maintaining the project. If not all of them, of course, because there's multiple um, uh, multiple maintainers of not just of one company, but... Um, uh, I was going to ask uh, Julia a question. Um, your your journey into open source, and do you have any kind of advice that you would give around uh, knowing what you know now, how things have developed? Let's <laughs> say, I mean, um, myself, I've been, you know, my, I started my life in in closed source software because open source wasn't that widespread <laughs> many many years ago. But um, yeah, it, what, what is your experience there and how do you see it going forwards for, for, for people? Well, for people who want to start contributing to open source, start with something you feel comfortable doing um, and don't let yourself be discouraged. If in doubt whether a contribution is welcome, open an issue and discuss it first. Don't waste your time on things which may not be welcome. Um, At the same time, don't let yourself get discouraged and and definitely don't let yourself be put off by people who act as gatekeepers because that's still happening a lot. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't identify as a woman, uh, particularly in uh, on GitHub in in the open source communities. Uh, I I have a gender neutral nickname, gender neutral uh, photo, which I use uh, uh, as avatar and Generally, I 
don't see that much pushback based on the fact that I'm a woman. But I've also heard of other open source contributors uh, who get you know 60% rejected out of hand without even being considered. And that is very discouraging. Uh, so know that you need a thick skin and don't take any bullshit. And the, that 60% is, is based on, on gender, do you think? Partially, yeah. Right, okay. well, there was actually, you, uh, you probably know about this, there was a research done a couple of years back by a university in the US where they analyzed uh, the, the GitHub repositories and, and how gender was a factor in accepting pull requests or not. And they found that people who identify as a woman were significantly more often rejected. Uh, their PRs were significantly more often rejected until they reached a point that they became a maintainer and then they were significantly more often accepted. Okay. And, and, well. and I understand that dynamic because as a woman in open source, you normally have to prove yourself twice as much, if not three times as much, than a man. As, in other words, you have to become two or three times as good. No, Juliet, that's a very interesting, interesting perspective because I receive similar feedback from the transgender community I know in open source. Never mind whether you were a woman and now you consider yourself a man or the other way around or you are something in between. People mm -hmm. struggle with these challenges and I absolutely hear you because that's exactly what these people have been telling me. Yeah, absolutely. And and I see it happening and I try to speak up whenever I see something happening. I mean, even if someone responds in a topic like, oh, thanks, guys, I will speak up and say, sorry, but no guys here. And it, it may seem like a small thing, but it is about being a welcoming community. And someone else who sees that comment without my response of telling people off, uh, would feel less welcome, maybe, because of that comment, because no. they're not a guy. Yeah, and that's exactly a very, very interesting perspective, Juliet, because that goes back, I'm almost tempted to say, to the, to the whole cultural dominance of a certain geography, because guys in the U.S. means anything in terms of it can be a girl, it can be a guy, it can be in between. And I reckon if people use the term guy on GitHub, either from an American background or more than likely coming from an American influence culture, they will automatically use this term without thinking twice. Do you well, know what Chris, I mean? Let, let, let me be very crude, but would you sleep with a guy? Oh, and I don't know your, your uh, orientation or anything, but basically if... Spill the beans, Chris. <laughs> And you would say no because of that or yes because of that, I don't know. Uh, the, the fact that that is the interpretation in that context that makes the, that the word is not gender neutral. Uh, depending on cultural background, yes. In the US, if you call somebody, if you address a group of people, you wouldn't typically say guys. Never mind whether you're female addressing that group, whether you're male addressing that group, whether that group is a mixed group or not. That in American U.S. English, that's a very kind of generic term. 
And, and we can change that because let's be fair, open source is not America. Open source is worldwide. And, and, and Juliet, that's exactly my point. But the thing is, the people coming from that background use this context without thinking twice. And that's exactly what we have to change. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. Every time. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm totally with it. Don't get me wrong. Martin, you had to say something about my sexual orientation. No, no, I think Juliet asked you a question, <laughs> didn't she? No, I, I, I no worries, no worries, no worries. You may choose the answer. <laughs> Not the topic of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, no, uh, Juliet, I mean, you're spot on. My only interjection is basically if you're coming from this background, seeing the difference, and that's exactly what I mean, maybe tricky. Yeah, but I mean, that is the same with, you know, cultural change over time. I mean, 50 years ago, yes, there were transgender people, except it wasn't something which people could be open about because it was so not accepted. I'm very happy to say that's a lot more accepted nowadays, even though it's still a huge struggle for people who are. At the same time, you know, we need to change our language based on things which are sensitive to the world at this time. Why did uh, most repos in on GitHub and why is the, the default setting in, on GitHub changed to call the default branch main? Because people were associating master with master-slave terminology. And master-slave terminology, even though the actual tech terminology comes from a different background, is still something which is, uh, for a lot of people, very sensitive and rightfully so. So I think it's a really good development that we are aware of what we say and and become more and more aware and take that into account how other people may perceive it. If we want more contributors to open source from whatever background, we need to make it a more welcoming community. Absolutely. And on on this precise point, you remember that, that discussion about Redis, right? About masters and slaves and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember two or, two, two or three years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I, uh, I mean, I don't maybe don't remember all the details, but I know my 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 stand on it, uh, and it hasn't changed. I mean, ah, uh, well, a sensitive topic, but uh, uh, I have to voice my opinion. I do understand. Uh, I do understand that people um, that some things can be sensitive for some people, but. We need to we need to find some uh, some balance there. I mean, if we purely theoretically, anyone can be offended by anything. Now, the way I was brought up and the way I adapted in this uh, let's say male dominated world was be resilient, create resilience, be good about it. So, and when there is something that I think offends me, the first thing, and this is something uh, like a friend uh, told me many years ago. If someone looked at me and gave me the the, uh, side eye or just said something uh, stupid, the first thing I'm going to think is he's having or she's having a bad day. This is not about me. I know who I am. I know where I am. And uh, um, this is his problem or her problem. He's probably having a really bad day. So maybe the next thing I should ask, hey, are you okay? Do you need any help? Approach it with love. I personally didn't like the master uh, uh, discussion because I thought it was very um, Americanized. 
And that's not fair. So I remember, actually, um, Salvatore had a health problem. He posted something on Twitter that exactly because of that uh, uh, fire that he took. You need to change master to me. To me, master is Leonardo da Vinci. It's not some slave master in America. The world slave is actually comes from Slav. So I'm a, I'm a Slavic woman. And I'm not offended. So we've been like the original slaves. And that's something in the past. I, 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 I mean, sure, it's maybe not even that much in the past. My, my people have suffered a lot. Uh, in the, even my generation has suffered a lot by being who we are. But that's for to me is, is in the past, and it's just one, um, uh, just one meaning of that word. Master to me is uh, Beethoven, is Leonardo da Vinci. So now, but but when the when uh, a small subset, uh, and and it is a subset of American people say we are deeply offended by this master word because that to us that means this thing, and then the whole world has to adapt. I think that's a little bit like, hey, we are uh, we are the ones who decide how things are going to be. So instead of just maybe creating this resilience, adapting to the rest of the world, hey, maybe this is just us. Maybe this is just our projection. We are projecting. No, the whole world has to adapt, and I think that's that's not very fair. I don't think that's necessarily true, though, because that discussion is also happening in my country, and and that's maybe inspired by the discussion in the US, but that discussion about slavery is still something which is very prominent for a lot of people. And how much effort does it take to change that terminology from master slave to primary uh, primary replica? It's a small not the terminology which will make the community more open to people from the more diverse backgrounds. And I find that very much worth the effort. Well, the, uh, when we say the community, I mean, uh, do we actually have numbers on this? Or do we just say because we've seen some people being more loud uh, in, in an issue? Because to me, it looks sometimes it looks like that. I've, I've seen many, actually, many uh, threads or co- private conversations where people say, well, I mean, I don't support it, but, uh, I mean, it's not worth it to, to go out and um, say that you don't agree. It's not worth it because they're allowed, they're going to cancel me or, or things like that. And I perfectly, oh, I agree with uh, the cancel culture and canceling someone, it, it has proved very useful in many cases. But we shouldn't be generalizing. We should really look... At, at things with fair eyes, trying to understand all aspects. An interesting perspective. Uh, I reckon we have, I'm almost tempted to say playing devil's advocate, we are finally getting somewhere because that's a very challenging and interesting perspective. So playing devil's advocate now, Elena, the whole slavery thing that Juliet rightly mentioned just we just going to lay, lay to the wayside or because i mean that's at least in some parts of the community that was the whole origin for this whole discussion at some stage so you you will feel comfortable with kind of continuing this mass slave dis- 
Uh, no, I'm, no, I'm actually, with the slave thing, I think that's that's stronger. So uh, this is, and I, I uh, maybe it sounds inconsistent now, but I think I believe I'm being actually consistent because I'm thinking we should look every little thing with uh, like uh, in its own spot, separate from each other. Okay, slave, I understand slavery is the worst thing we as a human, uh, uh, well, it's human beings have done. And the imperialist countries, and yeah, uh, Netherlands, uh, UK, Portugal, even where I live currently, uh, um, uh, they've been a part of it. And I, I understand that some people now, first of all, uh, uh, feel ashamed that their ancestors have, have done it. And others, on the other side, other people feel offended and, and um, emotional and hurt because their um, uh, grandparents or grand-grandparents have been a slave. So my very good friend, a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, his his grandfather was a slave, and and that's not easy on you. But that conditions you. That changes your life. Your your start line is way in the back. So I was actually fully in support for changing the term slave to a replica, but the term master, I didn't see a need for it. I really didn't see a need for it. You don't think that the history of computer science in terms of nomination and denomination, where master-slave has been a selling term for what, for the last 30 years at least, if not 40, goes hand in hand? Because I, I fully concur with Gillette here, it's time for a change here, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also the question is what was the connotation of master right in the in in that scenario it's it's not i mean i understand salvatore's meaning of of uh, uh leonardo da vinci but was that the if, if master is uh used in combination with with slave then surely that's not um the Leonardo da Vinci master, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't, Salvatore, I, I don't remember him ever, ever mentioning uh, Leonardo da Vinci in terms of master. When he did, I guess just, you know, he, I'm, I'll bet that he didn't even think about it. But that was uh, like, what, 13 years ago? You have to put that in the correct time frame. No one was talking about that 13 years ago. We're talking about it now. This is just like people... Um, um, like talking bad about philosophers, maybe who uh, lived two thousand years ago, and now we are not going to follow this philosopher anymore because he used to uh, uh, date boys. He did because everyone did that, and that was considered like completely normal at that time. And it wasn't a trauma, maybe even for the boys, because they were just growing up with that as as a, as a normal thing. Who knows? I I haven't been there, but you have to see, frame the thing that you're looking at in the right time, in the right context. Oh, but uh, in that sense, I don't think anyone is assigning blame to the fact that people chose that term when they did in the past. They are just now saying. Now, with where we are in the culture of today, it may be a good time to change it. Yeah, and I agree. I think everybody's in agreement on that one. It's, uh, as you say, not, not that hard to, to, to change a bit of terminology. Yeah, and, and some of these terms are quite outdated right now. Um, yeah, they were um, not so well thought out at the time. But as you say, they may have been 40, 50 years old or even longer when, when books were written on these subjects were... But the beauty about 
language is that it does change mm. because language has always been an expression of the cultural background, never mind time, where it was minted for want of a better expression. So the hope does last, I'm tempted to say. And, and let's be fair, I mean, the, the one thing we need to be careful about is about being dismissive when someone expresses concerns about certain use of language. Well, we may find it hard to actually feel someone else's pain, we can still have empathy for them. And yeah. that empathy is where we make that change. To change terminology, to change the, the typical phrases we use to, yeah, again, make the community more welcoming. Mm, absolutely. Well, that seems like a very sensible thing to do. The gatekeeper no. um, discussion we yes. had earlier, I was going to ask a bit more on that one because we've heard this before, right, from, from other um, projects that, um, you know, the, those maintainers or gatekeepers or whatever you want to call them, the people that have worked on these projects a long time and are in charge of the um, of the changes, they, they, they look at newcomers with, you know, um, uh, some some scrutiny, right? Because they've been working on it for a long time. It's kind of their baby, and so on. So, um, is that something that you have to take into account? Being being trying to, uh, you know, write pull requests and things like that as well. Would you say? You're asking me. Uh, yourself or, or Elena? Yeah. What What's your opinion, Janet? Uh, well, yes. Uh, generally, I will try to make sure that I really make a case for whatever change I'm pulling and make it a technical case. That will, well, set the tone for the discussion that it should be a technical discussion. And I see in in the gatekeeping, I see, I see a lot of people just being outright dismissive, not invented here. Um, mm. And... And if you keep that discussion on the technical aspects, don't, you know, be kind to the person, criticize the code, yeah. then you can still have a useful discussion on the technical aspect without it feeling as gatekeeping community-wise. So is, is that something that you, you uh, I mean, you mentioned a few products that you work on. Are, are you one of those gatekeepers? I, for some uh, for some projects, I'm definitely a maintainer, and uh, I have to gatekeep that the code quality is high enough. Mm. I need to keep into account, you know, the, who are my users of this product, and what are the amount of support requests we're going to get if whatever comes into the code base is buggy. Uh, so yes, there is gatekeeping, but on the technical uh, aspects of the uh, of the yeah pull request. But I very much always try and very clearly keep that in mind, be kind to the person, welcoming to the person, and then be critical of the code and try to keep the discussions on the code. Yeah, I should be right. Sorry, sorry, Chris. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, uh, I mean, that's one way to finding faults is, is an easy or, or an easy thing to do, but it's, it's one thing to do, but you could also. Um, clearly mention what they could improve on and things like that. I mean, right. after all, Floss communities should be aware, should be welcoming communities mm. and inclusive. 
Yep. Juliet, you, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, let's keep the meta communication separate from the technical one, because at the end of the day, Floss communities are all about innovation, sharing, supporting, and fostering, if I'm not completely mistaken. Granted to say, we've been running this podcast for only two and a half years, slightly over that, but that's my impression after these couple of years so far. Yeah, and in, in that sense, if, if a pull request gets closed without even any discussion or without explanation of why it's being closed, it's highly discouraging for someone to send in an ex-pull request. At least, be, you know, say thank you and, and be kind to the person. Absolutely. Um, similarly, it, it, it's often when you, often someone who sends in a pull request, you, you have no idea what their background is. You don't know their level, whether they're on the same level as you or you need to coach them. Or So quite often I try to make my reviews use question form. Have you thought about this? Why did you make that particular choice? Can you elaborate on that? Rather than making that uh, assumption. And I still sometimes wrongly make assumptions. And I'm not too big to, to apologize when I do. But no. I also know that is rare. To, no, yeah, for people to apologize and, and to actually realize they're making assumptions about contributors who they don't know. And with I think with that approach, you're absolutely spot on because essentially you're not saying, so you did it wrong, but rather what, what was your intention? And with that, you are provoking a thought process on both sides, I think. Yeah, I mean, they might have a very good reason for a change, which I never thought of yet. But yeah, it, it's it's meant to start an open discussion. And I have to admit, if I'm short of time, I might be shorter in my reviews and, and shorter in my remarks. And I make mistakes there too. I'm still, you know, I, I very much try and keep an eye on myself in that regard to try and keep that... Uh, communication open but it, I know it's not easy but it's even harder on the person who gets a pull request closed without any comment and no. without any explanation absolutely and the beauty is basically if you document this on sites uh, on sites such as github the, the afterworld in terms of the people who are using the search engine to look out for these issues can follow the discussion and much more importantly, can follow your train of thought and learn from it. So even with that attitude, or just with that attitude, to put to put it that way, you're fostering the overall discussion in the community. That would be the hope. I have to admit, uh, too often I see people contributing and then not being able to extrapolate that comment to the other three pull requests they have open and just just something in one pull request and then you have to make the same remarks again in the other one. Uh, it, it really depends on the aptitude for learning that person has. But if they do have the, the aptitude for learning and they actually do extrapolate those comments to other work they have ongoing, they are uh, you know rising stars and I will gladly foster and coach them to become a maintainer at some point. I think we're in agreement there. 
given the fact that we are almost approaching four hours, now <laughs> is the time to wrap this up. So, gals, guys, diverse listeners, uh, sorry, participants rather. Uh, any, 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 exactly. So, everybody participating in this podcast, forward of a better, of a better expression. Any final thoughts before the, we wrap this up? And Elena, Juliet, feel free to speak your mind. Martin, too, by all means. Because we are inclusive. I'll go first. And it was very, um, uh, it's, it's not quite what I was expecting as, <laughs> as a story, but it's, it's uh, likewise very eye opening. Um, so, some of these uh, issues we've seen um, with uh, people from other projects, right? That, um, not specifically uh, based on, on um, uh, gender or any other. Um, uh, um, let's say um, prejudices against and people contributing, um, but yeah, I, I found the um, the let's say the financial context that being a uh, a hindrance to to or hindrance a, a, a blocker to to working on open source quite um, an interesting point of view. Mm, yeah, yeah, I couldn't also agree more with uh, with that part. And I know it's that was way in the beginning, but I I didn't uh, comment on it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And there, then it's about privilege, and uh, it's about differences uh, between maybe uh, also men and women. I just wanted to 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 share. Well, every moment that I'm doing something um, uh, outside of work that's not spending time with my son, I feel guilty. I feel guilt. But I have many male colleagues who just say, oh, at night I'm with my family and I'm on my laptop and I did this thing. And I'm thinking, how? <laughs> I I would like really beat myself over, over that. Um, I would f- be feeling that I'm not doing enough and I'm a terrible mom. So we are culturally um, conditioned. Let's say that we need to provide, we need to be there. And women have that uh, conditioning much more than men culturally. Of course, it is changing. Of course, uh, um, I guess we have been doing a good job in the in the past 10 years or so. Um, but we grew up like that and I still have it. So it's still part of us. And uh, thank you, Juliet, for sharing. Uh, I mean, it's always a, a pleasure listening you listening uh, you speak about uh, about these topics, and I always end up learning a lot from you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Elena. That's really kind. And yeah, as I said at the beginning, I have opinions. Uh, I'm, I've been in this realm for long enough by now to uh, to have seen a lot, and and a lot of the things I speak out about, it's no longer about me. It's about trying to improve the culture and change the culture for the better for the next generation. Because, yeah, I've, I've learned to deal with it. I've become resilient, like Elena said earlier. But I shouldn't have to become that. I shouldn't have to compromise myself to survive in this world. And I want to try to at least make my contribution to the open source culture to lessen the need for that for the future. I mean, thoughts were expressed because at the end of the day, and this is my experience for the last 30 years since I've been involved in open source software, we are essentially standing on, on the shoulder of giants 
Never mind the background, never mind the gender, never mind the sexual expression, never mind anything. At the end of the day, open source is, yes, to some extent about technology, but it's first and foremost about people. Because without people, there wouldn't be any open source ecosystem. Simple as that. And it's about so, enabling. enabling it, people it, that's to... exactly it, yes, Juliet. Oh. So people like Elena and you play a pivotal role in this whole ecosystem as such. And Martin and myself are just doing a podcast. That's it. But you're helping create visibility for these kind of things. Yes, in our own that's little backyard. Affordability, anyway. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. No jokes. Jokes aside, this is. Uh, I mean, what has been discussed for the last hour. This is this is the essence of open source. And uh, sorry about your intro, but uh, this was kind kind of misleading. But I think, but I thought this 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 last hour and the discussion surrounding it more than more than eye opening, as Martin already said. That has been more than more than pivotal. So okay. with that, so with that, I would like to open the almost uh, after the show kick in terms of there's a there's something called the poxies that we discuss every episode. It's essentially something that has crossed your path over the last couple of weeks worth mentioning. Martin normally goes for lukewarm cat piss as in his favorite ales. I pick anything I like, but no, jokes aside, anything worth mentioning that you think is good for the community, now's the time. Let's start with Elena for a change, in terms of what ha- what is your pox? And of course, pox, pox standing for pick of the week. Oh God, I'm, you really got me unprepared here. Um, okay, well, not necessarily related to open source, but I. Um, you mentioned the cranker, a, a, any, a, anything. Anything. Any, okay. Any, okay. Any, okay. Any okay. okay. Yeah. So yes. I, I just I started paying. Uh, um, I did a little experiment where I installed this focus software that would block out a bunch of distra- distractions like Slack, work distractions, <laughs> but still distractions, Slack and email, and um, set up. I could set up uh, some URL, some like social websites that I could block during focus periods of time. So I could set up a one or two hour work session where I would get absolutely no distractions. And uh, it's very interesting because at the end of those two hours, all the uh, blog stuff would pop back up and I would see that I would get, I don't know, five, 10 Slack notifications, a few emails that normally would have distracted me. And I look back and I've actually produced, I've, I've actually, I have actually been productive in those two past hours. So it was a very interesting experiment. I decided to um, continue using, continue working like that. So try it out. You will see that, uh, unfortunately, um, interruptions during the day and all the notifications really take a toll. Finally, at the end of the day, you feel like you haven't done anything. At the end of the quarter, you feel feel like you're lagging behind. You start start feeling bad and um, like you always need to work. Um, But maybe part of that uh, can be solved by having a focused uh, time without notifications. Try it out. Worked for me. Um, links may or may not be in the, may or may not be in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, I used one app called Serene, but I, there are multiples. There are multiple ones. 
Uh, you can just Google for focus app and that's, that's it. You can choose something that work for, works for you. Juliet, what's your box? Ooh, uh, seriously, you, you really caught me out here. I did not prepare anything for this. Um, no, if we're talking sure. apps, what, one thing I can cannot ha recommend highly enough would be Flux, uh, which is a great way to re uh, reduce eye strain while you're working. Uh, if we're talking offline, you know, relax and watch uh, a, a little series one, uh, on, you know, an online channel sometime. Uh, I've recently discovered, uh, what is it, the young Indiana Jones, and I thought it was very cutesy and very amusing. So, yeah, if, if you want something to relax, give that a try. Martin. Yes. So if we're on, I'd, I'd like to, uh, Elena's subject, actually, uh, I've been using something called um, Tomato Timer, for <laughs> which is uh, something similar. Well, not something similar. It's not about blocking out things, but it's more about breaking your uh, work routine into into blocks and um, make sure that you have breaks, really. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Interesting. My box is rather something mundane. I'd like to dedicate this slot actually to the open source community because not just for the last hour, but rather for the last 30 plus years, this is where we come from. For the millions of people out there contributing, not just code. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not about the, the pull requests you put on GitHub. No, it's about documentation. It's about Stack Overflow. It's about anything you do fostering the ecosystem. Helping the world to make a better place to live in. This is for you. And with these parting thoughts, Elena and Juliet, I would like to thank you for being here. That has been one of the more of the most fascinating episodes that we ever did, I'm tempted to say. And we would really love to have you back on the show Ooh. in a couple of years to talk about the next big thing. It was a pleasure and always happy to join you again. Thank oh, you. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. This is the Linux in laws. You come for the knowledge, but stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You'll find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs>